the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. We are Season 5, Episode 12 in beautiful downtown McMinnville. And we are here for another episode of exhilarating chat about wine. And here today we have, well, we have a little bit of a, a cool duo with a couple of brothers. And then we have my very first wine client ever with uh, Steve with Bravoro Cellars. And we're going to start with Steve today because for all the years I've known you, I don't really know your backstory. <laughs> and I think a lot of it was I didn't want to be your nosy insurance agent by asking you questions. So let's talk about wine and why and why you left the corporate world and all the stuff in between. I spent 33 years in the fitness industry. Do, doing what? Because I knew the fitness industry, but doing what? Well, I started off you know, probably uh, cleaning floors and emptying spas and doing that <laughs> the menial stuff that you do. When the, you start the a grunt job, work? Just the grunt work and worked my way up to, a, to an assistant manager position, a manager position, a, a regional manager and a vice president. Um, but primarily, I was a chief operating officer for a chain of 55 clubs in California and did that industry for 33 years. So, you know, with, with doing that, you just told me just a second ago that you had kind of almost like a life choice to make. You know, you either were <laughs> kind going- of. <laughs> Kind of. You were either going- There was a massive fork in the road and yeah. you were coming to Oregon or you're going to Hanoi. Is that what you just said? Hanoi, Vietnam. That's a yeah. small choice. Yeah. It's it's almost the same place, just different continents. <laughs> it was quite a choice because we were- we had started making wine back in 2009. We made our very first barrel of wine as amateur winemakers. And, and then we made two barrels and then three barrels and five barrels. And people told us, you guys ought to think about doing this as a life, as a career, because you're, you're pretty good at it. And it was uh, at a time when I was getting tired of being in corporate America after 33 years of sitting behind a computer and, and trying to please the shareholders and, and make other people really rich, people I didn't really like. I decided, you know, there's got to be a better way to, to uh, finish my career. And I was getting close to 60 and said, you know what? I don't think I can do this much longer, but what is it that I would do if I didn't do this? Because I was paid well to do it. And, and at that same time that we were considering opening up our own winery, which was going to be in Lodi, California, I was approached with the CEO offer to go to uh, Hanoi, Vietnam and be the head of a chain of the most premier health clubs in Vietnam from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City and all over the nation. Million dollar question, do you speak Vietnamese? No. So they, it was really going to be a massive culture shock all the way around. They insisted on having an American white CEO. Well, you fit the, fit the bill <laughs> that, de that doesn't speak the language. Yeah. No, so they gave me, given me an interpreter and a driver and it was, it was a pretty lucrative offer. And it was tempting. We thought, well, if we did this, we'll go do it for five years. But I'm not sure this is a forever lifestyle thing. But for five years, we could go have a lot of fun. Friends and family said, well, come visit. I was over there for a while and thought, you know what? I could do this for a while. But I'm, I'm more passionate about wine. So, I mean, before that point, I mean, I'm assuming you were a casual wine drinker. You liked wine. I mean, was there more of a story to it as far as other than making it at – were you making it at home or were you – No, we're custom crush. Okay. So you yeah. were making – from Barrel One, yeah. Custom Crush, uh, down in from Lodi. From Barrel One was at a friend's winery in 2006. We started helping a friend of ours make wine. He owned a winery, he and his wife. And for three years, we helped them make wine. 
and started making our first barrel and asked Dave, you know, would you, will you help us? And he goes, I'll, uh, I'll coach you, but I'm not going to do anything. You're going to do all the work. And if it's vinegar, it's vinegar. It's your problem. So we would go out there almost every single weekend and babysit our barrel. My wife and I have never had children. So this was like our first child. And you should see the photo of us in front of our first half ton of Tempranillo. That's the very first barrel we ever made. And, and we bought our own grapes because he wouldn't even help us do that. We bought our own Tempranillo. I don't know if that's a good friend or not. I mean, that could be a good friend no, in the fact would... that he was making you learn right off the yeah, bat. Yeah. Or it could have been a bad friend that just said, I'm just too lazy or busy to help you. So sink or swim. It was, it was a little bit of all that. So we found out, we sourced our own grapes. And the photo of us standing in front of this half ton of Tempranillo, this bin is like, it's, it's got to be like mom and dad's holding their first baby. Because the greens on our faces is just, it's, I, I really need to blow the photo up. It's, it's a priceless photo. That'd be great in the tasting room. It would. It would. Yeah. And that's where it all started. And we made one barrel and had, had a, a lot of fun raising that barrel for 18 months. We still have two cases of it left. It's not very good. It never was. <laughs> <laughs> and honesty is such a virtue. Yes. <laughs> but, but, it, but it's ours. And it all started right there. And it was a lot of fun. And so we went from one barrel to two to three to five. But what I realized as at the same time, I was still you know, a C-level executive and I'm watching all these winemakers that I knew in the industry and, and they owned the business and didn't have a clue how to run their business. And I hope they're not listening because they were really good winemakers. But when I started asking business questions, which I gravitated to, they didn't have answers, not even close. Well, I didn't know how to make wine, but I knew that, that any business I'd been involved in, the person running the business wasn't the technician. Business people hire technicians all the time. And so I thought, well, what if I did what you guys are doing, but I hired you? I learned the business. And they said, our books are open. You can ask whatever you want to ask us about our business, but you'll probably have to go look for the answer yourself because we don't know it. And, and It's I, very typical, just, you know, just from the, a business perspective, looking into the wine industry. It's very typical. Shocked me. Yeah. I asked the guy, what did it cost you to make that bottle of wine? He goes, how would I know that? Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, we could start with, <laughs> and, and I walked them through that. And so I actually showed them what it cost them to make a bottle of wine, which astounded them. Like, how did you get to that? How did you learn that? I don't know. You, how did you learn to make wine? Um, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. But I can hire technicians. If I don't like the technician or what he's doing, I'll fire them and I'll hire another technician. That's the way I work. Spoken like a true businessman. <laughs> and so, so I thought, well, I gosh. Maybe I'm being naive about this, but I think I could do this. And why couldn't I do this until I die? This is an industry that you can do as much or as little as you want to do. And so we decided to get into it not growing grapes because that's the part of the business I didn't like and I still don't like today. The, the farming aspect boggles me. That's just way too risky to leave Mother Nature up to the, my business. No way. I'm a control freak. And she has been rough on everybody yeah. the last couple years. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. So didn't want that risk. But if I start with the buying grape part, if the grapes don't make it to market, that's your problem, not mine. But if I buy the grapes that I want and start there, that has worked great for us. Well, you have a little bit more control that way too. Because if it's a bad batch of grapes, that's you right. reject it and either go to the next guy or wait till next year. Exactly right. So has Tempranillo been kind of the the favorite from the beginning since that's what you started with? Yeah, it, it was, it's my wife's favorite grape. Uh, mine's Petit Syrah. And, and so that's why I brought those two bottles. I was going to say, huh, what a coinky dink. <laughs> we got a Lucy bottle and a Steve bottle today. So we started with Tempranillo, and, uh, but we've, we've made a Tempranillo every year for the last six, seven, eight, nine years. And we've kind of, now we've, all of our deals are handshake deals. We have no contracts on any of the grapes we buy. 
90% of the fruit comes out of Lodi, California. They're handshake deals with friends of ours down there and they're close friends. And uh, we get 8% of our grapes out of Washington State. And I don't have great relationships there. So it's much harder for me to buy fruit out of, out of Washington than it is out of Lodi. I go down there every quarter, meet with the winemakers and the, the grape growers. But it's, it's been – now we have our own vineyard here when we grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Which we'll talk about here yeah. in a few minutes because that is kind of a newer acquisition. Yeah. Yes. So where do I even – how do I even phrase this question? Because we've kind of gone all over the map a little bit between your corporate world and Vietnam versus whatever. But at some point, you decided to migrate north. Mm-hmm. And why? In 2000. 15, when we were putting the business plan together for this, which, which when I showed my business plan to some of my winemaker friends in California, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have a business plan. No one had a business plan, didn't know what it was, didn't know how to read it, didn't understand it. But when I was putting the business plan together, we considered either doing this in Lodi or coming to Oregon because I was born and raised here. And every year we would come back and visit. I graduated Oregon State. And every year my wife and I would come visit and we'd go out wine tasting and I don't want to say be disappointed, but we didn't find the wines we liked. We're big, bold, red fans, and we couldn't find what we liked. So we'd either bring wine up here with us, which was a shame, or we would just think, God, I wish we wish we had our wine here. And after we said that enough times, my wife said, you know what? Look, I love Oregon. I'm happy to move to Oregon. If you want to go to Oregon, let's, let's just take the business model up there instead of doing it in Lodi. And Lodi will be like everybody else. Take this same business model up to Oregon. We'll be unique. For sure. And so we were a little reluctant because we, we talked to people up here who said, you're crazy. You're nuts to come into the heart of Pinot Noir country with a lineup of big, bold, out-of-state reds. You're nuts. That's a risky business model because that's just that's blasphemous to Pinot Noir. It's, run it's you pretty out ballsy because I remember when I met you at the symposium that day, that infamous day where you were looking for glass, you hadn't even started, you know, I don't think the winery, you sell your business plan, you're looking for whatever you're looking. And I didn't know anything about wine. It was the whole fake it till you make it model. But I, you know, I wanted to learn and you just happened to walk up and actually want to talk to me. (laughs) So, which is unique because nobody wants to talk to an insurance agent, especially in a, I don't know, an event like that. But we are very important to everybody because you have to have good insurance. So my plug right there, please have good insurance. Anyhow, but, you know, when you told me what you were doing, I still was really naive to the entire industry, but you told me that you were doing big, bold reds. And I remember this all so very well because you came into my office a couple weeks later. I thought, big, bold reds, gosh, this guy isn't going to like me. You know, I don't drink red wine. I don't even like red wine. And you came and sat in at my desk and asked if I, you know, wanted to come wine tasting. I'm like, gosh, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I don't want to get fired before I get hired. And if I don't like your wine, you're going to fire me and not ever talk to me again. And you were so kind in the fact that you told me that I hadn't been probably tasting correctly. So I wasn't probably tasting the best of wine and I definitely wasn't tasting probably correctly. And that I was a chicken pretty much and that I just needed to basically get my ass into the tasting room and try it out for myself. And I think, I don't think Shay was working for me quite yet. Maybe, maybe you were. Yeah. Maybe Shay was. And basically kind of kicked me out the door and said, you just, you need to go figure it out. And I did. And I was shockingly surprised. And one of my best girlfriends is so grateful for you because I told her for years, I'm like, I don't drink red. You got to drink by yourself. I don't drink wine at all. But red wine, but no. And after that day, I really thought I'd have a bitter beer face kind of thing going on. And I was so pleasantly 
surprised and grateful that you took the time to educate me on how to drink red wine. So big kudos to you because I do really give you all the credit for that. Thank you. Well, hence the name Bravuro because Bravuro was a name that we came up with. It means doing something risky or daring and doing it very well. And we thought going into the heart of Oregon Pinot Noir country with the lineup of big bold out-of-state reds was pretty risky or daring. Uh, for sure. And that's, that's how we came up with the name. That's why we wear white when we pour red wine because that's also Bravura. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not allowed to wear white when I drink wine <laughs> or, or eat food for that matter. <laughs> so, so very brave indeed. And your model has worked out well. Well, the other part of the model that changed last, sort of last minute was I was going to bring three other wineries up here from Lodi with me. So I was going to be the low man on the totem pole and bring three veteran wineries up here and pitched that plan to three of my favorites down there who all said, God, it sounds like a great idea, but a risky one. Why don't you go up there and check it out and uh, let us know what it's like, you know, but we're not willing to take that risk. But if you are, um, you know, we maybe we'll come on board. So now, of course, when I see them all the time, I tell them, nah, it's not doing very well. You don't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> smart man. <laughs> Stay where you very are. Very smart man. <laughs> so you landed in Newburgh as far as the tasting room, and it's what, 800 square feet? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It's yeah. just a little hole in the wall, yeah. um, but has served you so very well. It's been a wonderful space. We looked in several cities. In fact, I had my pen to the lease on several deals that we didn't do, and, and a lot of times the best deals you make are the ones you don't do. We had looked at a place in Sherwood, a place in Carleton, one in Dundee. We seriously had leases in front of us and said, oh, it just didn't work. I'm not feeling this. And this little place in Newburgh came up and it did feel right. And it's been a wonderful place to be. Yeah. And it's super cute. It's right off it's, downtown and it really is super cute. It's all about the wine. There's yes. nothing there. <laughs> no, but it's, it's cute and it's quaint. I mean, yeah. there's one thing when you walk into a space and it it feels good when you walk in. And there's another thing when you walk into it and you're like, hmm. Not so sure about this place. And that place is just quaint and sweet and it's it really is perfect. Yeah, we're always playing the blues. Yep. And it's always sixty degrees. It's colder than hell in there. So <laughs> it's always literally 60. if yeah, if you're going and you have a tendency to be a little bit chilly. Yeah, bring a sweater. Uh, bring a sweater. <laughs> Sweatshirt, jacket, yeah. blanket, yeah. what whatever it is that you yeah, you think you need. I really want to switch over to wine, um, but my glass is empty. And that's always a sin and a bad thing to have happen, especially when there's so much wine on the table. So we're going to take a quick time out, refill glasses, and we'll be right back to chit chat about wine. Looks like everybody's got full glasses, so we are ready to get back at it. Okay, Steve, let's talk about these big, bold reds that you are bringing from Lodi, California, and your crazy business plan that you brought to the heart of Pinot country. That's a question? Sure. It's a statement to start. So, yeah, I mean, you have your lineup is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. It's all big and bold um, yes. for now, even though you have bought a local vineyard, but we'll finish up with that because that's a whole nother kind of project. I guess. So let's uh, let's talk Big Bold Reds. Okay. Yeah. So my wife and I each have veto power over what we make. And let's introduce your wife, even though she's not here. No. My yeah. wife, Lucy. Yes. My wife, Lucy, who was born and raised in Mexico and was raised mostly in Modesto, California. She's and, a doll. And we met on Match.com. 
Oh, there we go. I Some didn't know that part. Ashamed to admit that, like, I don't, I don't care. I don't, it's so, it's so normal not? anymore. It's, that, well, that was 17 years ago. Yes. You, <laughs> so, were, you were one of the early pioneers of Match.com. Yeah. Is it still around? Mm-hmm. Is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. I, I don't know. I did find it out uh, last week that that's how my son and his fiance met was on online somehow. Huh. So I didn't ask which online app it was hmm. because it's probably not a good thing for a mom to know. Our first date was at a, a wine event in California, and then we went wine tasting on our second date, and probably every date ever since. So, did you live in Lodi? Is that where kind of Lodi comes into this? You we were, were in, in Marada, which is right between Stockton and Lodi. Okay. So, it's, just, it's the next town south of Lodi is Marada. Got it. So, in the general vicinity yeah, right and area. So, yeah. Um, with what you have in your lineup, we've talked about the Petite Syrah, we've talked about the Tempranillo, but you have stuff that I get in my little wine packages that you drop off at my office. Thank you, by the way. Um, I'm too lazy, apparently, to run to the vineyard or to the to the taste. I'm too busy. Lazy is not the word. Busy. Um, but there's always something new in there that I just am not 100% sure what it is. Yeah. Each quarter, we try. We do release at least two new wines, sometimes three, sometimes occasionally four. Depends how fast they're selling through. But what we do is we price all of our wines at the exact same price. And by doing that, what I do is take price out of your taste buds because price is a big part of your taste buds. And as soon as I remove that, now what I find out is what you like, not what you like based on the price. Very smart. That helps me to know what grapes to buy because from the time I buy the grapes until you drink the wine, it's two years. For sure. We're 18 months in the barrel, six months in the bottle before we ever serve it. I can't afford to gamble two years away. So I want to know what do people like and and what is consistently sold big, best, fastest for us has been Petit Syrah, Tempranillo, and Zinfandel. So those three have become cornerstones for us. We make 10 barrels of each of those every year. That's the maximum we make of any single varietal. We only do 2,500 cases total, and I'm tapped out there. That's all we're going to make. So we try to cycle through other grapes that we aren't sure if they're going to be as popular, Barbera, Alicante Boucher. There's several grapes that we Petit Verdot that we, we do little bits of to sample and see how do they do. If they do well, I'll buy more, but you're not going to see that for two more years. So like when we released our Tanat, our Tanat was a huge hit. What is that? It's even a little bit bolder than a Petit Syrah. Okay. So it's I've never heard of that. I mean, but there's a lot of grapes in the world that sure. obviously I've not heard of. I mean, being in the Pacific Northwest, you get used to the varietals that are typical, I guess. So that is a new one for me. Okay. It's wonderful. I made the mistake. The first year we made our, our Tanat, we won two double gold medals for it. And I went back and told my winemaker and Lodi that. He also grew the grapes. The next year, he wouldn't sell me any. Shame. Because he wanted to make it himself. Mm. Did <laughs> so, he win two, so, two double golds? Know. But but I, I realized, just like those other guys, that the, the three wineries that were going to come with me, that I'd tell them now it's not doing so well. Yes. I, I, tell, I, I, don't, I don't go back and shine any awards in front of these guys. Like, just leave that out of it. Don't tell them if you're doing well, because they'll just raise the price and or keep it themselves. Oh. You so, got so, to learn trial by error, right? I, I learned there to keep it quiet. Yes. But it's really hard to do that when you're doing so well. I was pleased. I thought he'd be happy to know that the grapes he grew won a double gold medal. And he was so pleased that he kept it. So, But now we have a little bit more. But So we do uh, several different varieties. Uh, the Carignan. We do a Carignan that, that people aren't 120-year-old vines. People aren't, wow. aren't, aren't really aware of the grape. And so we, we like to cycle through smaller lots of you know, 100 cases, 150 cases of something and see if people like it, see if it catches on, see how fast it moves through, and then we may or may not buy those again. But we make 12 different wines a year. 
Hmm. I guess I didn't know that. I guess, well, okay, one, I so, don't pay attention to my receipts to realize that every <laughs> bottle of wine, it costs the same. So, okay. you know, th there's that. Pay attention more, Heidi. And I guess I didn't realize there was 12. Yeah, so each quarter, if I do two, that's only eight wines, which means, but like right now, we just had a release in June. And in between the June release and the next September release, we've sold out of another wine. We're probably going to sell out of two and I'm going to have to fill in. So something's going to get released earlier than it was scheduled to be released. Otherwise, we won't have wine to taste. Yeah. And I know when I like first met you and came in for my red wine education, um, I don't think you were doing that many wines. And I don't, no. and I don't get in often enough to, to taste through. And I try usually about once a year, but it just doesn't always work that way. So that's good to know. And it's exciting to see something different than Pinot. Not that there's anything wrong with Pinot, but there's a lot of Pinot in the Valley. And so having those other things to talk about and to go taste and whatever is really kind of refreshing. It's nice to see different things. We hear from people frequently that they like when they come in that most likely the menu changed from the last time they were in because we don't make such huge quantities. Nothing's going to be there for a year. No way. Maybe six months max, even on our biggest production wines. And so it, it's gone and something new takes its place and it's always new and fresh and something different coming out. Yes. So let's go back to my first tasting experience. What is the true secret of learning how to drink red wine properly? How to drink it properly? How to taste it? Both, all of the above. Well, because there's a lot of people that, I mean, friends of mine, people mm -hmm. I talk to, they're like, mm, nope, I don't do red wine. And I think a lot yeah. of it is fear. And I, I do hear often, well, I'm allergic to, you know, red wine. And I'm like, whatever. There's a difference between drinking too much wine and then drinking maybe the wrong wine, something that is mass produced. And I don't believe in giving tasting notes. We've never given tasting notes. And if people ask me, what am I going to taste here? I'm not going to tell them because I don't know what they're going to taste. Everybody pal everybody's palate's different. And that is the one thing that has always freaked me out is tasting notes. So do you like it or not? Th that's where I start. And people who come in and tell me right up front that they're a novice taster, it, great. You know, do you, do you like that or not? Th that's all that matters. You know, I like Dr. Pepper. My wife can't stand Dr. Pepper. Doesn't make either of us right or wrong. It's a different flavor profile. And if you taste this wine and it's not to your liking, okay, here, let's try something else. If you don't like them all, that's okay too. Um, Although it does hurt your feelings a little bit. Um, no? No, because everyone likes different stuff. It would hurt my feelings. Stuff. No. It's, it's, I see everybody's head shaking and see, I would have, I don't think I could do something like that because, well, A, I'll lie if I don't like any of it um, because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But if it was me on the other side, I think my feelings might be just a little bit hurt if he didn't like anything that I put so much blood, sweat, and tears in. No, I mean, to me, it's a little bit like dating, you know, and you find stuff you like, stuff you don't like, and everyone has different tastes and likes and dislikes and doesn't make any of them right or wrong. They're just, they're personal, they're unique. And if you like what you're tasting, wonderful. You know, here's the next one. If you don't, dump it here. Let's move on to something else. No hurt feelings. Well, that's good to know. And I love people who are, who are trying for the first time. Like, that's awesome. Good for you for being brave enough to try something because I'm not as brave sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who, eh, I don't want to try that. Have you ever had it? No. Well, we hear that a lot with Chardonnay. Like I hear the ABCs, you know, anything but Chardonnay, you know, when they come into tasting rooms, which I think is really unfair because I think a lot of people have the stereotypical taste and thought in their head and they're not even giving whatever is in front of them the chance to like it or not like it. And there's different styles and different AVAs and different, you know, different everything terroir. So it's, I'm with you. It's nice when people are more open-minded. And I've been more like that with food. 
I'm the picky eater as a kid that if it wasn't Tillamook cheese sandwich on white bread with Miracle Whip, which I don't eat Miracle Whip anymore for those that are going to send me hate mail, um, it wasn't happening unless it was a razor clam. So we went from Tillamook cheese sandwiches to razor clams. That was kind of my spectrum. But now I'll try almost anything. If it's fried spider in Vietnam, not happening. <laughs> we had a woman who was tasting a flight and I had a Cab Franc in the lineup. And she said, do not pour me the Cab Franc because I just don't like Cab Franc. Forget it. Okay. So I went past the Cab Franc, didn't pour it for her. But then at the next wine, I reached out for the Cab Franc and I put it in her glass. Because mm-hmm. I don't know why I did that, but I did that. And she said, now this is delicious. And I turned the bottle around to show her that it was my Cab Franc. Yeah. What, Look you at know, you I, being cheeky. I won and the sneaky. battle and lost the war because all I did was upset her. Oh. <laughs> that, like, okay, so so I proved my point that you know there's no such thing as not liking all cab franc. Give me a break. But I, I don't I don't do that ever again. If people tell me that, I skip it now. But <laughs> but but I I just had to do that in the moment and I did it. And because when people tell me I don't drink red wine or I don't like cab franc, whatever, you probably just haven't had a good one. And I think that's what you had told me. I mean. I remember being told years ago when I worked at the bank, so I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, something like that, that I didn't like red wine because my taste buds had not died yet. I wasn't old enough for my taste buds to die. And I'm like, gosh, is that a thing? I don't know. Is that a thing? And then after meeting you and going through it, so I have always been to the adage that, okay, I'm just not old enough to appreciate red wine, I guess, you know, but then you told me not everybody's going to like everything. And unless you try it and you try it with an education piece behind it, you probably will never try it, and you've probably not drank good wine. But what you can say that's a legitimate criticism is I don't care for high acid. So if I taste a wine that's high in acid, a Grenache, many Pinot Noirs, I just don't like them because they're high in acid. All of our wines are low-acid wines. And acid is something that if someone said, I don't like acid, I get that. But don't tell me I don't like Grenache because that's different. Yeah. Well, and I will say like with me, I don't like things that are heavy-oaked. And I don't like things with super high tannin. I just, that's just not my, that's my preference, you know? And I think that's fair. And, you know, going into like a restaurant, ordering off a wine list is hard for me to do just in general, because I understand the whole distribution wholesale model and what you guys actually get paid um, for them and how highly they're hiking those bottles up. But you just never know what you're going to get. So it wasn't even so much, I'm going to have this Pinot from the Willamette Valley because it's got to be delicious. But it's talking to the psalm and going, okay, I want something that's fruit forward, low tannin, low oak. And if they know their wine list, they will pull you out a bottle that is really quite delicious. Yeah. And my recommendation is always to take wine to a restaurant. Yes. I'll never buy wine off a wine list. I only do that when somebody else is paying because, and that's me being, I think, true to my friends and clients and whatever in the wine industry. Because that $40 bottle of wine is now 180 on their wine list and you probably got paid eight bucks for it. We don't do any distribution. Yes. No stores, no restaurants, never will. Every bottle we sell is either full retail or wine club price and that's it. Yeah, I used to think it was kind of snooty falooty to take your own wine to you yeah. know a restaurant and now I totally get it. And it this was back before my wine education, you know, time, whatever. So now I don't feel bad about it at all. I mean, I'm happy to pay the corking fee and, you know, drink it with- And have a bottle you know you like. Yes, exactly. And from somebody I probably really like just in general. So it's a double win. And that's part of the experience. And for me, wine is about making a memorable experience. And and going to a restaurant and ordering off a wine list, there's no memorable experience that's going to be made there. Taking a wine that has some meaning to me, it's not always my wine. I'll take somebody else's wine. I'll take any wine that I want to take to be part of that memorable experience. Wine helps create that. 
and it can't do that off a wine list. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Thank you for making that. Very, very so philosophical today, Steve. Okay, let's talk about something that most people don't know that you do and offer, which is port. Mm -hmm. And it's delicious. Thank you. Yes. And you told me my 2015 bottle that is still in my wine rack out there is still good. So is it getting higher in alcohol? No, the port won't. No, no, not at all. Okay. But I'm like, because it was already toasty with alcohol. No, the port won't change as much in the bottle as our wines do. That'll be the same 15 port that it was a few years ago, where a 15 Cabernet out there would taste very different now. There may be something like that out there too. You just never know. <laughs> I saw a few of the bees out there. On the, yeah. On the rack, well, stop yeah. looking at my wine collection and judging because <laughs> I haven't drank it yet. <laughs> so it's a collection. Yeah, it's, for, it's, it's for you know decoration now. Although we drink a lot of wine out of that wine rack fairly often. So we just haven't gotten to that, that row, I guess. So let's talk about port yeah, and yeah. what it is because you don't see it a lot. Yeah. And obviously this is coming from California out of, you know, bigger grapes and not from Pinot. So it's going to be a little bit of a different taste and flavor. But port, if you drink the whole bottle, will knock you on your ass. Yeah, I've never known anyone who drinks a bottle of port. And it's, yeah, it's it's rich. That? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of port. <laughs> no, I have not drank a whole bottle by a myself. A shot glass is good. <laughs> yeah, no, I usually will pour like a little snifter of, mm -hmm. you know, whatever of it because it is rich and it is sweet. And it's a great after-dinner drink. Or I've been told it's great on ice cream. It's not, in my opinion. I have put our port over ice cream because other people kept telling me, I'll bet this is great over ice cream. I tried it. All it did was make the, the ice cream runny. And, oh, I and don't like port, runny ice cream. Oh, no, it, it did not work for me. Don't I, I will never do it again. Did it I, once, like, no. Nah. I've not tried it, but people keep telling me that. And I'm just like, mm. Mm, maybe one of these days. I like my ice cream with, well, it has to be Tillamook. Um, and I like it with a little bit of chocolate syrup on it. It has to be Hershey's. It's better in a reduction sauce over a filet mignon than it is a rice There cream. we go. That yeah. sounds more delicious to yeah. me. Yes. So if you want port, Steve has a great port. So I highly recommend it. Good with dark chocolate, though. Yeah, we do a port blending class every winter. We do actually do a couple of them because they fill up so fast. But I walk people through the whole process of our port blending. And we, we make four different ports every year. And I brought up all four ports from Lodi. And... Um, and let people try them individually. And individually, they're, they're all very nice, but almost unanimously, the blend of them is better than any individual one of them. Brings a little bit of something from each one, I'm sure. It's it just different. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's, yeah. but it's, it's a fun class. And um, we, it's a carefree, small side note here, carefree is what we call our port because we can't call it port, not from Portugal. And carefree was the second name for our winery. We lived in Carefree, Arizona for a little while. Loved the name of the town. Loved the town. Loved the word Carefree. It just sounds like I don't care. It's it's a relaxing, chill place is a to go. Great yes, word. it is. And so we call uh. the port that. But I, I told that to some some people in the tasting room one day. I told them that story, and and one woman said, "Why would you name your winery after a line of feminine hygiene products?" That is a good point. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Said I haven't been down that aisle in the store lately. I, <laughs> didn't dawn on me. Uh, <laughs> thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that one's off the list. Yeah, we didn't off the list. <laughs> yeah, scratch that one off. Gosh. <laughs> I, I would not have gone there. So, no. you know, but apparently Oops. I don't walk down that aisle enough either. Yeah. So, I don't know. Okay, let's talk about tasting rooms because you have this beautiful new tasting room in Amity. You have your original one in Newburgh, but let's talk about the two of the difference for just a few minutes and then we'll wrap this up and we'll ask the most important question of the day. Newburgh has been wonderful for six years. Uh, in fact, uh, next week will be our six-year anniversary there. 
been a, it's been a wonderful place. We have no plans to leave there at all. Just signed the three-year extension on the lease and love it there. Great place. Uh, we were always looking for a vineyard property. Not easy to find. We started when we moved up here. It took us four years before we did find one from some people at a small winery and retired. And all we want are enough grapes for people to see when they come visit. I don't want any more. So what's the minimum? Like we have two acres. Perfect. I don't want 100 acres. I don't want to be a farmer. Remember, we talked about getting into the business early. As early as I want to get in is buying the grapes. So to have a farm with grapes on it, two acres, okay. And even there, it's more than you'll see from the tasting room. But it's a wonderful place to – a guy came up today from who we're doing our anniversary party out there in two weeks. And the caterer came out to check the place out today. And he, he got out of his car and goes, God, what a slice of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful up there. It is It is spectacular. We love it there. Every day we look out the window and go, we are so fortunate to live here. This is just awesome. The views are amazing. And people who – we have a slideshow going in the Newburgh tasting room that shows the Amity property. And it's pretty cool. But people come out to Amity and go, okay, this is a lot better than that slideshow you got going on. This is pretty cool. So, we have a really cool like little outbuilding for people to taste in that's – I don't even know what you call it. A other pavilion. Pavilion. There we go. That sounds a lot fancier than outbuilding. And you just built a brand new patio, mm-hmm. if I remember right. Yep. And you have olive trees out there, which you said were more more work than you ever thought of, but they are so cool looking. They're beautiful. The three up by the tasting area are beautiful. There's 15 more out on the other side of the house. Beautiful. There's 400 more at the bottom of the hill that – if you're listening and you want olive trees, let me know. <laughs> you can have them. It's a disaster of a business. There's no way you make money in olive oil. It's a terrible business model. But we have an acre of olive trees, 400 of them. And wow. it's the size of a football field of olive trees. And they're beautiful to look at. But, but they're but a nightmare to pick. It's a hobby. It's an expensive hobby. And I'm not into expensive hobbies. So now the tasting room there, in fact, just maybe a, a month or two ago, we were awarded the uh, one of the top 10 wineries in the state of Oregon. I thought it was one of those emails I got congratulating me where you, you buy something and they, they you know, buy this and you'll get that. And that wasn't it at all. They just, uh, they picked us out of the 900 wineries in the state and they picked us number six in the state of Oregon. That's pretty amazing. And we're pretty jacked about that. Yeah, you should be. And so now we're working on plans to expand the tasting room because it's a small indoor tasting room. And we need a place that we can entertain year-round and not be dependent on nice weather. For sure. And so we're working on plans to expand the tasting room there. Well, I'm sure I'll get an invite back up here soon, as soon as you start breaking construction. So, Okay, Steve, tell us where to find you, both in Amity and Newburgh and social media stuff. Sure. You want addresses and stuff? No. Yeah. No. Just Amity, Newburgh. Historic downtown Newburgh. Yeah. And And up on up on Walnut Hill. Yes. In Amity. Yes. It's yes, beautiful. And there's blue signs at the bottom of the hill. Yep. 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 Brevertosellers.com. Mmm, little slip there. Yes. They had to change their name for reasons. Yep. Just reasons. So Okay, go and find them, buy wine, taste the wine, um, decant the wine, which Steve always does. And we didn't have time to for me to ask that stupid question of why he always does that, but I'm sure there's a great reason for it. Absolutely. Okay, last question of the day, and it's going to be different for the Paradis boys over there because we don't want them thinking ahead of what their answer is going to be. But you have been dumped on a deserted island. There's no way for you to get off. You get to take one person with you, celebrity, dead or alive. You get to take a bottle of wine with you, and you get to take a snack. 
Who are you taking? You can't take Lucy. She's not a celebrity. And the clock's running here. I'm on. Yeah, the clock's running. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my first one would be Mickey Mantle. Ooh, that's a great choice. Yeah. Are you a big Yankee? He was Yankee. I was growing up. Yeah. Growing up, big I was Yankee a huge fan. Mickey Mantle fan. Yeah. And back when I was in Los Angeles writing screenplays, I auditioned to write the Mickey Mantle uh, feature film. And I was I was pitching the story to a producer, and I took off my tie and opened my dress shirt underneath I had a Yankees jersey on. I did not know this about you. Oh, oh there we no. go. That's a whole other discussion because no, I love baseball. And then they decided not to do the film. Shame on them. Yeah, Shame Mickey on them. Mickey Mantle and what was what was the rest? What would uh, I take? A bottle of wine Appetite. because that's what we're talking yeah, about here. Are off course. Okay, and a snack. Yeah, no clue. I don't know. Mounds bars. Fares oh. <laughs> <laughs> well with, dark, with a big red wine. <laughs> uh, there we go. You know, that's about as simple as you can get. Okay, Steve, it has been Thank you. real. Thank you for finally coming in. This has been a fight because you are such a busy man. So I appreciate you taking the time and bringing my wine for me my today. Pleasure. So thank you. We'll, uh, we'll circle back and talk soon. Okay. Up next are the boys from Paradise Vineyards. We got Pierre and Tim coming up to tell us all about who, what, when, and why, I guess, is a great word. So fill your glasses and come right back. My glass is full. We have now moved over to Paradise Vineyard. So we went from Big Reds to, we actually had a really nice summer wine before we all started um, with your rosé, but now we're moved on to the Pinot Gris, which is another great summer, sunshiny, drinkable wine. So welcome, guys. I'd say welcome, boys, but sometimes that's a little derogatory. <laughs> You're not 12. Yeah, we get so, called boys all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, We're pretty I'm, young for this we, industry, yeah. especially in sure. Oregon. Just going to say. I won't ask, but yeah. you're. I know you have 32. Mm. Mm. This year. 29. Okay. So yeah, you're- We were, what, 26 and 23 when we started the winery? Yeah. One year out of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at you guys go. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to start sooner than right. that with talking <laughs> about this story because we've already gone back to the 1600s and family <laughs> connections in France and Quebec and kind of all over the map. So- um, let's say hello to Tim and Pierre Paradis, Paradis Vineyard, which means paradise in French, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's talk about how this all this wine started and how you guys got into it. Well, we're not the ones that got into it. We just kind of took, took it over. over, kind of say to grew say. up in it. But yeah, it, but we if, grew up in it though. Yeah, but if I remember right, like your mom and dad started this, but then they had kind of gotten sick of it, or they had kind of wandered away from it, and and you guys have kind of reignited the fire. Correct. Yeah, so mom and dad planted their first vineyard block in 1990, same year I was born, to date myself. Um, We've already said you were 32, yeah, so this is just repeating ourselves. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> so that, their first block was in 90, expanded over the years. They had their own label from 2000, 2006. They did a grower sales license. So they had somebody else make the wine for them under their label. Was it, was it the same label? No. Well, Paradis. Yeah, still Paradis Vineyards. It's just a little bit different as, yeah. than it is Paradis today. Paradis Family Vineyards. And, yeah, you know, it's Paradis Vineyards. Family. You've simplified it just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And let's just clarify, the one that is talking the most is Tim. Yes. The one that is not going to talk probably near <laughs> as much as his brother, Pierre. Um, and I do want to, before we get too into it, I, I really like to set the scene as far as where you guys are at, because mm-hmm. you are Willamette Valley, right. but you're not Dundee Hills and you're not whatever. You are um, outside of Silverton. Mm-hmm. Cascade Foothills, correct? Yes. yes. It is this beautifully gorgeous valley off of Abiqua Road, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Driving up there, you don't expect to see a vineyard. It's like, you know, kind of driving into that lush green valley with all the trees and whatever else. I always see places like that. Mm-hmm. You probably have not seen this movie, but I always kind of go back to like last the dogman kind of thing to where there's this beautiful <laughs> place yeah. that nobody knows about until yeah. you walk behind the waterfall. Yeah. Um, and actually that's really not that far off because you got yeah. Silver Creek Falls and you have the other one that you told me that is the secret that nobody should know about. Yeah. Abiquah yeah. Falls. Falls. Yeah. It's a secret is out. Yeah. yeah you're welcome. It's out now. You're yeah. welcome. It is now internationally <laughs> out. So. Yeah. You'll see this flood of people drive by your house oh, yeah. in rental cars. Yes. Heading for Abiquah Falls. Yes. There <laughs> yeah. we go. Okay. We've set the scene. Beautiful mm-hmm. valley. I don't know. Unsuspecting place. You mm-hmm. just don't expect to see what, what I saw there. It's it was, a little bit different view. I mean, because like we've always grown up thinking a view is, oh, you're looking over the valley. And so we are the view from our tasting room, which is brand new, but it looks east. So it looks up into the hills, but it's kind of situated where it looks up across all of our vineyards. So yeah, and you have a lot of timber, timberland and stuff around you yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. So it is beautiful. It is mm-hmm. definitely worth a trip out there mm-hmm. to, you know, even leave the valley just a little bit just to explore a new area that is kind of a hidden gem. Off the beaten path. It is very much off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Cascade, so it is a Cascade Foothills Cascade Foothills Wine Growers Association. There you go. I yeah. was I think I could have got that had you not like stepped in and helped <laughs> oh, me sorry, out. Sorry, sorry. Yes, it's yeah. not an AVA. It is not an AVA. It, it is an actual like grouping because you guys run from that group, whatever runs from like Oregon City down mm-hmm. past Silverton, correct? Like state and state area. area. Yeah. yeah. So it is a long, beautiful mm-hmm. stretch of valley that isn't really a definitive like soils or area or whatever. It's it's mm-hmm. very um, broad. It is. It is. So in that grouping, it is like we're, so where we are sitting, we're jory, old volcanic soils, just like over here. It's just on the other side of the valley. So, you know, it's, it is a little bit different. Um, so fun fact about that. My mom is the one that actually started that group. Go mom. 2000. Yeah. And it used to be called the East Valley Wine Tour. Oh. Yeah. And then they dropped out and cause they stopped making wine, but you know, and now it's, and it was four people when it started, four wineries, and now it's up to 14, I think. Yeah. So it's yeah. grown a little bit. It's grown a little bit. And we've actually had several of the, that group on mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, we've had some representation, and I was thinking yeah. I needed to get over there more and more, but there's not really that many more that there's I haven't already talked yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> so, not too many. Yeah. So people need to like, you know, get it in gear and start putting more We have, more we have in the a ground. lot more growers over there than we do have people making wine. So there's lots of grapes over there. So why is that? I mean, we've totally veered off the whole family story yeah, yeah, into the Cascade Foothills. So sorry, but but it's it's a farming community. Mm. No, it's, may- it's more farmers. They just don't, you know, they don't want to make the the product. They just want to grow the, the grapes. The there's wine nothing industry, wrong with that. You know, it really took off over here and got its foothold over here, um, and then over there, it was mostly about production, and it was farmers getting into grape growing, more less wineries getting going over there. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The history has always been driving fruit across the river Mm -hmm. to over here. Yeah. 
I like that history. Well, it's so like that goes back to the the family side of things. So okay, nice, nice segue my, so back we're into the circle. Generation farmers here in the Willamette Valley. Okay, not grape growers. Second generation grape growers. Well, I guess third. Third so generation grape growers. Our grandpa thought my dad was nuts when he first put their first block of grapes in, which is Pinot Gris. At that time, what was the crop before that? They had row crops, vegetables, a okay, l- little bit of everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, like my parents didn't. So when they a year into buying the property, they put grapes in. And previous to that, my grandpa had leased it from the previous owners. Got it. And so, and there was always row crops, vegetables, and which was easy to do back then. It's not as much. No, but they, he thought they were nuts, nuts, absolutely nuts. And the crazy part about it now is that my uncles, my grandpa's since passed, they have six to 700 acres of grapes now. Yowza. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a hundred, right? One hundred acres, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the estate, and they have six to seven. That's a lot of grapes. It's a lot of grapes. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of when grapes. There's there's more there. growers in there. There's a lot well, of grapes over there. More. Wow. Mm-hmm. I guess I need to do Just, some more driving mm-hmm. over there. So fill up the pickup, yeah. take out a loan, <laughs> and you know, right? and start the drive. Yeah. So what was your parents' initial vision? I mean, why why grapes? You know, I've asked Dad that multiple times, and he just said it, he had a full-time job. We called it his town job. And they wanted something that was a little bit less maintenance. So They put in grapes? Uh-huh, right? <laughs> That's the comical part about it now. Don't right? think they knew what they're getting into. And so it was, you know, it was more of an annual crop, I think is what they were going for. You know, if you put grapes in, it's not, you're not working ground every year, putting not, grapes not in replanting. and they're there. Yep. They're there. So, and when they planted that first block, it was 15% of Oregon's Pinot Gris. It's kind of crazy. Yowza. Yeah. That's Pretty crazy. Cool. That was 1990. In 1990, yeah. So do you know what the percentage is now? It's probably significantly smaller, but yeah. but everybody's pulling yeah. their Pinot Gris back out. They are. They so are. So are you pulling your Pinot Gris back Ooh. out? Oh, there we go. This is a beautiful Pinot Gris, by the way, that we're drinking. We, I like it. We like our Pinot Gris. Thank yep. you. It's, uh, Pierre has to convince me all the time that it's, you know, he's always like, Oh well, we we grow the best Pinot Gris here, right? We're, and and then he has to transfer that into oh well, we grow the best Pinot Gris in the world, then, right? Because Oregon grows the best Pinot Gris, right? And it's like oh well, maybe, we'll yeah. See. I don't know. Yeah, we're it's pretty humble. Beauty, beauty in the eye of the beholder, it is, right? It is. It <laughs> yeah. is. But it's like yeah. it's it's kind of a varietal that has taken a dip. In the few last few years, it is, and it's probably going to have its time in the sun again. You mm-hmm. know, it's everything's cyclical. You know, rosé was you know the bastard child of wine for a long time, Bottom and now it's <laughs> now it's hot, hot, hot. You mm-hmm. know, same with you know sparkling mm-hmm. wine and you know chardonnay for that matter. So mm-hmm. it's all cyclical. So you know, it just is just is what it is. I like it. I you know, but I like a good white wine. I've tasted really good Pinot Gris, and I've tasted stuff that is kind of swilly. Mm-hmm. So a little turpentine-ish like. I so. like to call it Pierre's arch nemesis. Yeah. It's <laughs> the one that he puts the most focus on. So, yeah. Does it give you the most trouble? It can be hard. It can be difficult, um, mostly because we don't we don't have as many tools in the winery as a lot of places. I mean, like we don't have a chiller. I mean, it, it's kind of difficult. You got to work with Mother Nature and temperature and stuff with your tanks on making it. So it can be a little hard, but... It, Comes out pretty good every year. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm learning. I'm only yeah. Learn four, four years in. So, mm-hmm. sure. Well, let's go back to kind of where you guys come into the picture. So, mm-hmm. you grow grow up, being mm-hmm. so we kind of segued into, you know, 
only four years of yeah. the, the business, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, we're in the business. So mom and dad planted it. Yep. You guys graduated high school, probably helped in, in the vineyard and stuff growing up, you know, mm-hmm. on the farm, whatever. All the time. And um, did you like split town when you left high school or did you stick around? I did. I was a commercial mason for five years. That's yeah. a hard job. It was a hard job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then numbskull over here I just d- decided to rope me back into the thing. So, yeah. And I here. traveled a bit. I went to New Zealand for a crush. Um, I guess I started it in Dundee. I did a crush in Dundee. And then the guys there convinced me to do a crush down in you know, South Hemisphere. So I did that. And then had decided I didn't want to be a winemaker after doing that. So went to school for viticulture and then Tim joined me at that school shortly thereafter down at OSU, both of us for both for viticulture and then graduated and immediately decided that we're going to start making wine. So the so, thing you didn't want to do yeah. after going to New Zealand is what you decided to do. Ended mm-hmm. up getting into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was that like a Rochambeau he lost? And so therefore he's the winemaker or? No, he's the one that roped me into it. So he got volunteered. He volunteered. I mean, we've made wine since we were high school teenagers. Yeah, in the garage. We would you show know, up because to parties with a gallon of wine. And don't say that too loud. I guess we're out of the. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, we've already established <laughs> we've, that yeah, we have we, gone yeah. past the, yeah. the timeline for all of but us yeah, to get in so trouble. We used yeah. to make wine, yes. and because we have fruit in your front yard, so you might as well. Yeah. So was it any good? No. Total crap. But no, it was, well, but I mean, it was it, alcohol. It got drank, but yeah. it, got drank. I mean, it was I mean, good. Yes. The red was decent, but the white, I mean, it's like, so you start it, right? And then you go back to college and you don't have time to babysit it. You're at school. And so it would just go to crap. So, Vinegar? No. Not quite. Just not. My, mom, my mom's not famous care for of. calling it hairspray. Oh. <laughs> she, she has this weird palette where she's like, if she gets, if she has this, and I, I'm, not quite sure what it exactly is, but she's famous for saying hairspray. She's yeah. like, oh, that has the hairspray quality. And I'm like, okay. Is it sticky? Is it chemically kind of flavor? I, mean, I don't taste it. Because it's being, it's being a child of the 80s, yeah. we all know what Aquanet tastes oh, yeah. like. Yeah. Because everything has to be, you know, mm-hmm. well, not my hair because it's curly. So mm-hmm. me brushing my hair in general mm-hmm. is like teasing it for hours. Yeah. But, you know, my friends who have straight hair, you know, <laughs> yeah, had Aquanet and the bangs that stuck up to here. So y'all tasted Aquanet in the locker mm-hmm. rooms and whatever mm-hmm. else. So I do know what that flavor is, unfortunately. Yeah, he's come a long way, though. Yes. It's garage wine. I mean, after, yeah, we call it garage wine. We didn't have the garage wine years. And then um, tail end of college, started making larger quantities, and the quality of the wine jumped up dramatically. Um, Significantly. When you go from five gallons to a proper barrel, it it makes a huge difference. So it it got better. And then, so 2016, we did two barrels. 2017, Mm -hmm. mom and dad had the bumper crop, and so we ended up making... Yeah, close, to, gallons. close to 9,000 gallons. How many cases is that? We, That's a it lot. It didn't go into we, bottles. Yeah, we sold a lot. That was our bulk. first year making wine. So did you bulk it out? Yeah. yeah. Bulked it out and sold it as we, bulk. We did, we did our first ferment in the back of a reefer trailer. <laughs> our, our was, it, was it a proper reefer trailer like you? Uh, it you was know? a proper reefer So it wasn't trailer. something that you like pulled off the- No, like the, we rented you know. it and okay. we did it, right? Yeah. So, but it's like, well, what do we- our, our plan was to make wine, but we were planning on like 400 cases, which we yeah, did. Which we did. We bottled about 400 cases. But we had all this extra fruit. I mean, so we did 
40 ton of Pinot Gris um, at last minute. I mean, it was like Monday we decided we're going to do this. And by Thursday, we're hauling fruit up to get pressed and we have tanks to put it in and stuff. And so, I mean, it was like, how, what, what can we possibly, how can we do this? Because if we don't do anything, it's just going to rot it in the field. And the birds are was, Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there was nowhere to bring it to. All Everybody's tanks were full, which was a common story. I mean, you, you talk to people about 2017 and there's just so much fruit out there. So we did 40 ton of Gris and uh, maybe 15-ish ton Pino. of Pinot Noir. Pressed all the Pinot Noir ourselves and the Gris we had somebody else press. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, like a proper farmer, you know, a proper farmer will use anything within reach to, Mm -hmm. to actually fix a problem Mm -hmm. or to solve whatever's, you know, whatever. I've seen some weird, funky things be invented, developed Mm -hmm. and utilized to get the common goal or Mm -hmm. to finish out. So, you know, I am impressed that it was an actual proper reefer trailer. It's Mm -hmm. not something that came out of the junkyard that you, you know, hooked a, you know, milk compressor to, you know, whatever. So it it was great wine too. Yeah. We bulked it all out. I mean, it turned out great. I wish we could recreate it. I mean, it was great. Well, every year is a new vintage, right? It is. It is. That's the cool thing about wine. Yes. That's what I love about wine. Okay. We're going to stop right there because we got more wine to talk about. We need to finish figuring out what you two actually do at the winery. <laughs> and uh, refill glasses on top of that. It seems to be a common problem. The glass keeps like... Got holes getting, in them. It's got a hole in it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. So, okay. Hold tight. Refill. We'll be right back. We are back with full glasses again. Um, this seems to be like a habitual thing. So, you know, I don't know what you think of all of us, but, you know, I don't really care. So we're having a really good time here. Um, we never did really fully integrate and keep like totally sparkling and like squirrel sidetracks here with what we're talking about. But we have kind of established that Pierre does the winemaking against his best wishes from, <laughs> you know, early on. And I think Tim probably, you know, does more of the vineyard side, but we really haven't talked about how you guys have um, basically um, brought the brand back to fruition because it did take a little bit of a hiatus. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So Pierre makes the wine. We share the viticulture responsibilities. Um, we still do most of the tractor work ourselves. Which 100 acres of grapes, if you have not been out in a vineyard to see the maintenance that it takes to grow grapes with leaf pulling and hedging and cluster counting and cluster removal and edging and weeding and whatever else the hell you guys do. It's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. So I I always tell people we have two full-time jobs now. We used to have a side hobby that kind of once in a while would pay us. And that was the wine when it first started, but we've always been farmers first, viticulturists first, Anybody that comes into the tasting room, that's what I tell them. I'm like, we're farmers first. I mean, that's we put pride into the fruit that we grow. I mean, because 95% of our fruit goes out the door to other people. We want to have a quality product that goes to people. So we kind of, you know, we've always prided ourselves in good, clean fruit. And it's hard to make good wine out of crappy fruit. So that is very true. I've heard over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And more times than not, the good wine starts in the vineyard. Yeah. It does. You can have crappy fruit Mm -hmm. and you have to do a lot of magic Mm -hmm. things to it to make it decent wine on the backside. And 
it just isn't the best way of doing things, I guess. And that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I will attest and say that you guys are showed up in true farmer format with your baseball caps, <laughs> Carhartt shirt, and uh, your Oregon State Beaver alumni t-shirt. I even changed so, my shirt to come. So yes. I was, yeah. Yes. Thank yeah, you. This, this is dressed up. This is dressed <laughs> up for us. Yes. You know? So. I'm married to a construction <laughs> worker. Yeah. So anytime he like sheds the knee on yellow uh -huh. shirt- I'm a happy girl. Oh, I've yes. been known to wear those because I still have some left over. You know, I will so. say, though, like our daughter played basketball for years in high school, and I could always find Eric because he was the only neon cone in the middle of the entire yeah. um, audience, and I knew exactly where to go to find him. So there is there is benefits to having a neon <laughs> man dressed in neon yellow. So but yeah, to get back to your question, so I do more of the front of the house stuff, tasting room manager, if you want to call me that, and then... We, again, we share the viticulture practices. So yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, mom and dad are still there to help. They're I around. met mom they're, when I was up yeah, there. Yeah, they're around. My yep. mom's a realtor. If you need to buy a house, let me know. Got a good realtor. <laughs> they're also on a month long vacation right now. Yeah, they started, are. They're going to Europe today, for a month. So, so they're, they're oh, getting out. Oh, that they're, sounds they're horrible. Involved. Oh, it's so horrible. So yes. horrible. But they deserve it. So, you know, but yeah, and then dad's trying to retire. So yes. And that's. He's around. When you have a farmer, the, the term retired doesn't really mean the same as the rest of us that, no. you know, um, that are, have been in corporate world. And you literally say, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. You shut the door, give your computer back and you walk mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. A farmer, I, I honestly think it's, it's, it's kind of BS. They never, ever fully retire because they just can't. Your job's it's, in your front yard. It is. And they enjoy it too much. It's a passion. You have to have passion to be a farmer. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just not one of those things you just you know, work eight to five. It's, that's not the way it works. So let's talk about your um, varietals that you're growing up there. Cause you got a handful of stuff. It's mm -hmm. not just Pinot and Chardonnay. You got a little bit of everything going up there. Yeah. We have mostly Pinot Gris actually, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir. And then we also have early Muscat. Uh, we just planted some Gamay and Marshall Foch. And then we, we have a little tiny uh, bit of Leon Malot. Leon Malot. It's, I will say with the Cascade Wine Growers, you guys are, are definitely kind of pulling a little bit more of the, the hybrids yeah. through. Yeah. And they grow so great over there. They do. They're low maintenance too. I hear low, that. Low, low They maintenance. grow in Bend of all places in Oregon. And that was actually a really cool episode. Yeah. Learning all about the hybrids. And they're great for sustainability because you don't have to spray them. I mean, they don't get mildew and, and botrytis nearly as bad. Some of them not at all. They're like completely immune. So that, I mean, that's great. So you don't, I mean, it's great on a vineyard side because you don't have to, you know, be traveling as much. And then I mean, for, as far as sustainability, it's great because you don't have to use the chemical. Perfect. Yeah. It just kind of goes back to the, you know, are you live certified organic? I mean, all of that stuff. And that's a label. So, I mean, it mm -hmm. just, it just is what it is, but I mean, it does kind of help to that, that sustainability side of what that is required for We're that. We're not live certified. We are, we farm basically live. Yes. Um, you know, it's a long list of, it's a long requirements, list of requirements and it's a lot of time. And we used to be, yeah. we were up to about four or five years ago. Um, Our practices in the vineyard would fit, but none of the people we sell to require it. So we don't. You don't spend the money yeah, to yeah. do it. No, so, no, no. And I totally it's get it. It's a lot it. of paperwork. It's it, a lot of it's, stuff you got to do. It's a, it's, it's a pam. I mean, it's not even a pamphlet. It is a booklet of a things booklet. that you have to, and we to were, check we off. were live we were for a while. So 10, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. No, I get it. I, mean, I get it. Our I get practices it. haven't changed. We're just not. You're just farming. You're just farming good fruit. Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. You have a brand new tasting room. Yep. It is beautiful. You drive up through the vineyard. 
Mm-hmm. I believe there were some flowers. I always liked the flowers. And I was there early spring, so there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot growing, but it was still super beautiful. You were doing a bunch of landscaping you when I was up there. Landscaping. Landscaping's yeah. done. You got to come back up. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm always beautiful. waiting for my personalized invitation to come, come back. Up. Come on up. That yeah. doesn't count as personalized. <laughs> that is a generic broadcasted come come back. Heidi, you can come on up when you have my like. cell phone. Yeah. Just, just, oh, all yeah. right. Say, hey, we have a spot in our schedule. Okay. Bring, bring your crew. All right. Yes. Sounds good. So let's talk about that tasting room because it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. How to kind of get there as well. Because again, we've already talked about you're off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. No, so we had a taste room in Mount Angel, little tiny Mount Angel. It's a town of like 3,500 people. So cute. It's dinky tiny. It's a German it a great German town. Oh, huge Oktoberfest. You want to watch a town blow up mm-hmm. over a week or a weekend, go to Mount Angel. It's like 400,000 people over a weekend. Yes. It's yes. a lot of people. And I mean, that was a big catalyst a for us. That was a big deal for us because our tasting room was downtown Mount Angel. So when that would happen, that was a big event for us. But- You know, we have since moved. It was dinky tiny. It was literally two tables. It was probably double the size of this room. This room is about 10 by 11. Yeah, it was tiny. So size of a garage. Smaller. Smaller. Ish. Smaller. Yes, one car garage. 400 square feet. Yeah, 400 square feet. Tiny. And so now, I mean, it's a little bit of an upgrade now. <laughs> no, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's it has. I mean, we were talking about the table that I have in the podcast, you know, room here with the kind of the live edged, mm-hmm. kind of more woodsy. It's mm-hmm. it's just really a comfortably warm mm-hmm. tasting room to go hang out in with beautiful views. Yeah, and I'm gonna like totally kind of slink back to the Oktoberfest okay. because I've only been once. Okay, it was a little bit of a rough experience, hence the reason I have not really been back. Mm-hmm. But I will say that my family of a Swiss heritage background was the Polka Tones and they were the Polka band in the beer band for okay. in the beer bar for years. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I showed up and I'm like, oh, there's my family oh, nice. on the accordion on the front stage. So Very cool. it, it was cool. They've all yeah. since uh, died or disbanded, oh. but you know, it's, you know, it was 20 <laughs> years ago, 25 is, years ago, I bet. It has changed a lot. Yes. No more yeah. meat stickers. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was gone. That was where things went sideways uh-huh. for me that night. Uh-huh. So hence yeah. the reason why they're probably gone. Oh, yeah. So yes. If you don't know what that is, you really missed out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I missed out, but I heard the stories. So. Yeah. The stories are long mm-hmm. and distinguished, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay. Let's figure out how everybody finds you, gets to you. And is there anything that I've missed? I don't know. I don't. You That's got who we are. Your, your wife does your social media. Yep. yep. She's and she also does the marketing a teacher and she, too. So yep. she's got. And you yeah. guys, you have little ones. I have a so two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then you have your brother over here that, you know, I can tell he is a massive handful by his, you know, <laughs> as voiceful as he More is. More than he looks. <laughs> You're the yeah. silent, deadly one that is, you know. Yeah. The one that you need to wait. He's the one that has the crazy ideas that ropes us into a bunch of stuff, which yeah, is a good thing. But everybody needs that in their yeah, life. Yeah, you do. Because without that, you don't grow and you don't expand. We wouldn't have a winery. Look at you go. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my question for you, Mr. I don't want to ever be a winemaker. Mm. Do you do you regret being the winemaker now? Do you like it? No, I enjoy it a lot. Okay. Yeah. So that was young you that was like, eh, I don't want that. And now- yeah, now I, I grown just into decided it, I wanted it. to be, I only wanted to be in the vineyard, um, didn't want to delve into the wine, but then we got, we both graduated at the same time, wanted to go back to the farm and it was kind of like the farm alone isn't going to provide enough income. So we got to expand, we got to have more income streams. 
And so like, well, I guess we got to figure out this wine thing. It's now he started. gets to be a crazy chemist. Yeah. So. There's so much chemistry involved in yeah. wine. He's a yeah. chemistry guy, so. Half yeah. chemistry, half heart. Yeah. Half chemistry, half heart. Heart. Art. Or heart. Or heart. Or heart. Inspiration. Mm-hmm. Gut reactions and feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, I kept hearing your guys' name come up with in conversations. They're like, you need to talk to those guys just because they are unique. They have a great story and they are true farmers, which I have a massive place in my heart for farmers. So I appreciate, Sounds, yeah, I appreciate you guys coming in. It was yeah. a little bit of a jaunt, what, about an hour from Silverton, something about like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Where do we buy the wine? Where do we go on our, we already determined where we go hiking. So this is an we, after hike destination. We are only in stores. We're not in stores. Sorry. We're only out of the tasting room. We're I'm like, a, we're in a couple of breweries locally, but yep. at the tasting room, North Applebaugh Road, Silverton, paradiswine.com, at paradiswine on all of our socials. So come find us. It's It'll be worth it, I promise. It'll be worth your time. And yeah. we didn't really, um, you brought, how many bottles did you bring today? Six? Six. Eight? Six. And yeah. what all are they? Because we've, let's see. I'm drinking the Pinot now, which is- This del- is our, actually our reserve. This is delightful. This is our reserve. So that's our favorite two barrels. So we only make 50 cases of that a year. And yeah. it's good. This is my kind of Pinot. Very fruit forward, yep. very fruity, very mm-hmm. drinkable, not high acid, mm-hmm. or at least for me. And mm-hmm. it, that's a huge deal. because Sometimes you do get very acidic Pinot and you can't drink a lot of it. We're just um, trying to make approachable wines. Yes. Pinot Gris, Rosé. Pinot Noir. What else did you bring today? Uh, Marichal Foch. Marichal Foch. And our red blend. Okay. Which is Tempranillo, Marichal Foch, and Pinot Noir. Ooh. Yeah. What a combo. Okay. Well, it's an interesting combo. Break that baby open when when we go eat snacks. There you go. And we also make Riesling, uh, Shard, Muscat. Muscat. I think that's it. That's a good lineup. Yeah, we're trying to, trying to, we like to experiment a couple times a year, you know, do something funky. It's, well, we were talking about the Riesling that kind of went pet nat. So it yeah. has a little bit of a f- yeah. busy effervescence, mm-hmm. you know, that was a nice little surprise when it's, I was up there. That's the fun thing about yeah. wine. It you is. get to experiment. It's cool. That's my favorite part of making the wine is that come up with a crazy idea. Let's let's try it. Why not? And if it's crap, you if it's, sell it for cheap or yep. you... <laughs> if it's crap, we drink it ourselves. Sell something cool. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. Yeah. yeah so there's so always that cool, too. cool, then we'll make it again. Yeah. So... Well, yeah. awesome. Well, I'm so glad you joined us. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I am a massive liar in the fact that I am going to ask you the same question that I asked Steve. Okay. So I want answers from both of you because you guys are different personalities. So I'm expecting a completely different answer from the two of you. All right. So deserted island, you did not get to be on the same island. You okay. two, you're on two different ones. Wine, snack. And you don't have to take one of your wines. And technically, you don't have to take wine. You can take oh, something else. I'm taking else. wine. Okay. Pinot Gris. Okay. Uh, snack. I think I'm going to have to go with some form of elk. Elk burger? Ooh, okay. Deliciousness. Okay. I'm a big fan. Okay. Yeah. And I got to take someone, right? Yeah, you got to take somebody. Your wife doesn't count. Okay. Um, Bert Kreischer. He is funny. Yeah. He is a, and yeah. as long as he keeps his clothes on, because yes. he, he does clothes have a, are, clothes yes. are mandatory, but, but, it's you know, yes, he is yeah. super funny. It would be fun. Yes. Either um, that or. But he is um, known for his clothes being off, at least yeah. his shirt. So either that or Winston Churchill. Now nah, go Bert. Winston's going to be a little bit boring. 
Yeah. Yes. Interesting conversation. Yes. Very true. Burke could be very interesting too. He might surprise you on how in depth he could get with. Or Joe Rogan. That'd be another good one. You're taking all of his answers. Throwing the good ones out. Sorry. See, usually people struggle, but not, not Tim. Okay. Pierre, you. Yeah. I would say Joe Rogan talk all day, I guess. And, and he is very well versed on so many different things. He's yeah. such an interesting, so smart guy. Yeah. And he might like totally like, it's not WWE. He, a martial, MMA. Yeah, MMA you. Yeah. So yeah. if you piss him off, yeah, totally put you in a chokehold. Yes. And I was going to say venison as well. Fried venison though. Love that. Breaded and fried. That was my mom's mom's special. That goes with the razor clams that I mentioned. It was like, Cheese sandwich, any sort of like elk or deer meat, mm-hmm. and razor clams. I was so, going to say that sandwich is my son's ideal. Has to be Tillamook too. Yes, it. He's well, got when, expensive taste in cheese now. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. When you're a farmer's <clears throat> daughter, you eat the eat mm-hmm. the good stuff. Yes. And then for a wine, I mean, it's tropical island, so I'm going to say something white. I'd say rosé. Do you technically mm-hmm. consider that white? Um, I mean, ours is. Yeah, it is not. Ours, a, it's ours pink. is. It's pink. Yeah, but it's it's, it's definitely a blend. more white than. Okay. Yeah, I'll take more that. On the white side. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. I didn't flavor wise. It. Yeah, <laughs> it is really good. It's is a really great summer wine. Yeah. Yeah, just because it's really light and fruity and and delicious. Mm-hmm. So okay, guys, this mm-hmm. has been very real, very fun, very very interesting on several different levels. So, and I will be waiting for my personalized text message invitation to come out and revisit. Now that the bark dust is done and the landscaping is done, I'm all for that. Sounds good. So, okay, it's time to go eat snacks. We'll uh, catch you on the flip side. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you.